Uh, we're going to be talking specifically about a guy by the name of Elisha. Can we all say Elijah one, two, three? Elisha, yes. Not to be confused with Elijah, who we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, this is actually the protege of Elijah. His name's Elisha, but we're going to be talking about him. And it's worth noting, like we say every single week, we believe the Bible is a unified, uninterrupted story that leads to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelations, everything is about Jesus and everything points to Jesus. So even as we're talking about Elisha here today, his story is literally on the road to introducing us to Jesus when he came to this world. Now, a few things that we need to know about Elisha before we kind of talk about our story today and really even to bring it to us personally is we have to know what his name means. So if you like taking notes, today's gonna be a great day to take notes because there's a lot of content for us to notice. The name Elisha literally means by definition, God is salvation. So we talk about the Bible leading and pointing to Jesus. Even in his name, Elisha, his name by definition means God is salvation. As I just mentioned, he is going to be the successor to Elijah, who was a powerful prophet that we spoke about a few weeks ago. He's the one who, who called fire down from heaven. He got into the, the conversation with them at Baal. Um, super powerful guy. Um, Elisha follows Elijah for a few years as his protege. In other words, he was gonna learn everything he needed to learn from Elijah. Now, he was bold enough to do something that I think is worth pointing out is before Elijah was taken into heaven, because we know that Elijah didn't die a physical death. He was taken to heaven. We know that he appears on the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament with Jesus and Moses, uh, Peter, James, and John. But before Elijah was taken into heaven, I want you to hear this, he asked Elijah for a double portion of his anointing. We know, as we spoke about, Elijah did a lot of powerful things in the Bible. And Elisha, being his protege, got to see a lot of those things take place. And he did something that was super important. He said, Elijah, before you go, not only do I want what you have, I want a double portion of that. Not so he can make his name great, not so he can be an Instagram influencer. No, no, he did it because he wanted to be used by God. And God in his sovereign will literally anoints Elisha with a double portion. And here's the fact you may not know. Elisha performs more miracles in the Bible than any other person with the exception of Jesus. You've heard it said before, you have not because you ask not. What I love about Elisha is he shows us the power of simply asking a question or asking God for something, which just isn't a part of the lesson, but that should be a lesson to you and I to never be hesitant about asking God for something that will make us great in his kingdom. Elisha does that, and he goes on to live a powerful life. His ministry lasted about 60 years of ministry that he had, spanning the reigns of King Jehoram, Jehu, Jehoaz and Joash, which those are names that took me a long time to learn just to enunciate, okay? Um, and when it speaks about his death in the Bible, this is the only thing the Bible says. It's in 2 Kings 13, 20. It simply says, Elisha died and he was buried. Remember, 60 years of ministry, he died, he's buried, but there's something really cool that takes place in your Bible. And I promise you, I'm not making this up. I didn't put it on the notes. You're not gonna see it on the screen. 
But I want to just show you how powerful of an anointing that Elisha had. The Bible says in 2 Kings 13, 21, once while some Israelites were burying a man, so this man's dead, suddenly they saw a band of raiders, not the Oakland raiders, but raiders, although they probably did the same thing. So they threw this man's body. Okay, remember he's dead. They take, oh, I did get it. They throw this man's body into Elijah's tomb. Now watch here. It's not on the screen. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and he stood up on his feet. He's dead. His bones are in a tomb. And a dead man touches the bones because he's thrown into the tomb and the man comes to life. It's almost as if God wanted to demonstrate the power of Elisha even when he was dead. And I think that all goes back to God give me a double portion. When you study out the life of Elijah, it will reveal three things. It will reveal a prophet's humility. He was a prophet who walked in humbleness towards people. It will also speak of his obvious love for the people of Israel, and also it'll talk about his faithfulness and lifelong ministry. But what I love about Elisha that I think a lot of us can relate to, and if you don't, then you should, but he was just an ordinary guy. Sometimes we read about the prophets in the Bible, and we think, well, they, they must have come you know, from a priest's home. They must have come from some spiritual giant. He was ordinary. And to the point that he started following Elijah, he was a young man living in his parents' home who one day got called out by God to follow a man by the name of Elijah. He was ordinary. Look at your neighbor. Say, you're ordinary. Now look at your other neighbor. Say, you're ordinary too. Now if you don't have a neighbor, let me just tell you, you're ordinary. But God does great things with ordinary people. You can see it all throughout the Bible. Now, Today we're going to look at a powerful story, and you're like, yeah, we know. You've had us open up our Bibles a long time ago, and you're still talking. Long introduction. But we're going to look at a very powerful story. But before we talk about this story, I, I want to kind of frame this story with a question that's a lot more personal to you and I. Have you ever played, and this is a game, maybe you've played it before. Most of the time we play it in our heads, or maybe you've even said it out loud. But have you ever played the game, if I only had, and then there's a fill in the blank, then I would be happy. You ever played that game before? Show of hands, ever played that game before? If I only had um, this much money, I would be happy. If I, if I only had um, someone to marry, my life would be full. If I only had this job, then I could do the things that I've been dreaming about. If I only had, maybe you've done this one, mostly guys in the room, this type of vehicle, I'd feel like a stud. You ever, you ever done that? The if only game. If only I had, you fill in the blank. I'm looking around, I'm seeing a lot of laughing, which tells me you've played this game, right? If I only had this education, and you can start filling in the blanks. Now, let me just say this. Needs are not bad. I don't know if you've ever heard this said before. Tommy Barnett coined this phrase so many years ago, and I thought it was so powerful. He says, as Christians and believers, we should be the most neediest people 
on the planet. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I agree with that because you know, I, I don't want God thinking that every time I go to him, I'm just giving him a grocery list of the things that I, I need and that I want him to do. Okay, so when the Bible says to make all of your requests made known to God, what you're saying is, is you don't have any requests. You should be needy people. Look at your neighbor, say, start being needy. I'm gonna get you guys talking today. Say, be needy. You should be, here's why. You should be believing God for something in your life at all times. You should be walking in faith. We're gonna get to that in a moment. You should have something that only God can do that you're believing him for. Can I just tell you, if you're not doing that, you're living a very boring Christianity, respectfully. If there's not something in your heart, whether it's the need of a friend being saved because you love him enough that you wanna see them make heaven, if that's not a need in your heart, then your Christianity is boring. Sometimes people don't like hearing stuff like that. Like, pastor, I didn't come to church today for you to tell me that I'm boring. Sometimes pastors have to say things that you don't like. If you're not believing God for your children to serve God beyond your home, you're not needy enough. If you're not believing God to keep your marriage strong, you're not needy enough. Are you starting to see what I'm saying? I mean, I can go down the list. Listen, if you're not believing God for that promotion that you've earned, that if you got it, it gives you a place of influence to not just make a good paycheck, but to have influence with other people, your Christianity is boring. I'm telling you right now, we should be the most neediest people. That's for, so for every single day that we wake up, that need is so large that we drop to our knees in prayer every single day and say, God, if it's not for you, this is not gonna happen. You guys are quiet. That would have been a great place to say amen. It's about full dependency upon God. So the if only game, let me just say this. If you're thinking that thing, whatever it is, makes you complete, no it doesn't. God makes you complete. Those things are just out of God's goodness for your life. People would say, well, because I'm a believer, I shouldn't have nice things or God shouldn't bless me. That's not true and that's not in your Bible. Those things should not own you, but why would you not want God to bless you? Because if God blesses you according to his word, you'll have so much more than you'll ever need that you can now bless other people. It's all about that. People say all the time, why do you believe in giving? Why do you believe in tithing? It's not because I want God to give me stuff. It's because I want to have so much that I could meet the needs of my family, which God calls us to do, all of us to do, to create a future, but it's so that if somebody else has a need in their life, I'm ready to step up and meet that need. Do you see the difference in that? So you should be, I'm getting a little bit long on that part. You should be needy. Those things don't define you, but you should be believing God for something. So I bring all of that up to say this as we go to the story that has been long awaited for. You guys are like, get to the story, pastor. I promise I will. But I want you to do this. I want you to think of your biggest need right now in your life the greatest need you have. You can keep it to yourself. And as I preach this message, with that need in mind, I want you to keep it in mind as we go throughout this message. Because I'm gonna show you through the story of Elisha, one of the many stories, how God can meet your greatest need when you just do two things. So I'm gonna give you two things today. This story is gonna teach us a very powerful principle, and it's simply this. Our greatest need is met when it drives us to full dependency upon God. 
We're going to see this in the story, and it's the principle that I want you to see. Your greatest need in your life will be met when it leads you back to dependency upon God and not just how good you are at your job or how you can have a conversation with someone who, who you know can meet that need and you're steadily putting it out there hoping that they jump in. Why'd you get quiet? Or it's not gonna be in the resume that you can post. Your greatest need will be met only when you depend on God. And then what God will do is he'll probably use people. He'll give you favor. He'll open up doors. But it all goes on going back to him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things. Everyone say all. Okay, so every need in your life, if you seek God first, it's met. And this is not just natural things. It's not just a paycheck. It's not just stuff. It's needs that you have physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. God can meet those needs. But you got to go back to dependency upon him. All right, so check out this story. You ready? Here we go. The Bible says, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of the Moabites. But Jehoshaphat, everyone say Jehoshaphat. Good, if you said that wrong, I'm not the only one. He said this, is there no prophet of the Lord here that he may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, ooh, the son of Shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah, meaning he served Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down together. Okay, so let's make sense of this, okay? There's no water, not for the men, not for the animals. So all, the king, all of a sudden the kings go, hey, do you guys know of anybody who's out there who could help us with this problem that we have? Now notice, they were looking for someone who was in with God. Isn't that funny? It's like a lot of people, right? When life's going good, God's not there. When life gets real bad or falls apart, they're looking for God. You ever been there before? Maybe before Jesus? People that don't even attend church, don't even believe in God, when things go bad, they start praying to God. They say things like, hey, God, if you can get me out of this situation, I promise, and then fill in the blank. We've seen it time and time again. We've maybe even done it. Don't beat yourself up if you have. But that's what these guys do. And all of a sudden, one of them goes, yeah, whoa, 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 hold on. I know a guy. His name's Elisha. And at this point in the story, they knew of the miracles that this guy performed. They knew that Elisha was the guy that was able to split Water, see upon command. There was a time in the Bible where there was water and it was polluted and it was killing people. And Elisha prayed over it and the water was purified so they could drink. Now, I'm not making this next part up. It, it's in your Bible. There was one time in the Bible where two guys were making fun of Elisha. You ready for this? Some of you are really gonna like this because he was bald. I'm not making this up. It's in your Bible, Perry. It's in the Bible. 
I won't call it everybody else here who's bald. Josh, I know you're watching online. Josh informed me yesterday after school on Friday, he's shaving his head because he's going bald. I've got great news for you guys. These two young guys make fun of Elisha for being bald and full of faith, Elisha calls on a bear and the bear comes out and kills the two guys. Now the bald people are getting happy. It's in your Bible. So you should probably also note, don't make fun of a bald guy, especially if he's full of faith. You never know if there's going to be a bear around. But Elisha does that. So these guys have heard in the rookie year of this protege by the name of Elisha that this guy knows God and he can probably help us out. So they go to Elisha and you would think, you would think that Elisha would go, I'll help you out right off the bat. You want to know what Elisha does? It's what a lot of our kids do sometimes. You ready? Cops an attitude. You ever seen that before? Elisha starts to play with the guys. What does that sound like? Does that sound anything like Elijah? That when the prophets were calling on their fake gods and their false gods to light up the altar? Remember how a couple weeks ago I told you guys what Elijah did? He started mocking the people. Remember that? He started saying, oh man, your gods must be asleep. Maybe they're using the restroom. Maybe they're bored. Do you remember that story? Elisha now in this story is doing exactly what his mentor did. Watch what it says here. Look look at what it says in, in, in 2 Kings 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. This was Bible slang for calling out his mama. You guys remember the, the, the playground? Don't be talking about my mama. Elisha starts talking about their family. He says, hey, why don't you go call on their prophets? He starts mocking with them. It goes on to say in verse 13, but the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before who I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you, nor would I see you. Translation, you need a prophet, I'm going to be that guy, but if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I'm not listening to a word you say. That's what's going on in this story. I've got to lay this out so we can understand how to apply this to our lives personally. So Elisha does that. That's what he's saying. So, verse 15, the story goes on. He makes a demand. Notice what he says. He says, but now bring me a musician. That's odd. These guys need a word from God. They come to him. He says, I'll do it because of Jehoshaphat. And here's my first demand. I need someone who can play some music. Now they're out in the middle of the desert. We know they're lacking water. And this guy's like, give me someone who can play. Okay. It's as if he's saying, if you want me to prophesy, turn the music on and turn the music up. Goes on to say that the harpist begins to play. And if you're the king, you're probably thinking, okay, everything's going to turn on all right. We're going to get a word from God. It's going to be really good, but it doesn't happen. Look at verse 15. Then it happened 
when the musician played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him and said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Now this is going to be important. These three kings have got to be thinking, our men are about to die, our animals are about to die, we need your God to produce some rain so we can have some water. They find Elisha, they get a word, and I guarantee you it is not what they were looking for. He says, dig a ditch. Now if you're the kings are going, you mean to tell me, my men who are already thirsty and lacking water, who are in the hot sun, you want them to do some labor? It's gonna make matters worse. I'm trying to paint a picture here so you can understand how crazy this might have been in the moment. And Elisha's like, hey, if you want the one true God to move and to do something, this is what the Lord is saying. The Lord's saying, dig some ditches. Look at verse 17. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And I love verse 18 because there's a word in here that we need to, that we need to know. And this is a simple, say simple. This is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord, and he will also deliver the Moabites into your hands. So that's the context of the story. You following with me? Tracking with me? I know I took some time. So now what I want to do is I want to answer the question that you might be saying, Pastor, what does this have to do with me? You ever read the Bible or a portion of Scripture and thought, how am I supposed to apply that? That's what this moment is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a couple things for you to notice. And, it, and I want you to write this down. It's not the point, but you have to, you have to note it. Write this down. Write faith that works. Faith that works. Now we're going to say this together nice and loud. I'm going to prime the pump. Faith that works. Say it with me. Ready? Faith that works. One more time. Faith. Okay. Still a little mellow. It's cool. I'll try to get you fired up a little bit. Now there's a play on words here. And it's intentional. Because I'm talking about a faith that is effective. I'm talking about faith that is actually active. I'm talking about a faith that works because it's a faith that actually does something. Listen to me. Your faith in God without action will never produce anything that works. Do you understand? You can't just sit back and say, God, I have faith and do nothing and expect something to happen. Faith is an active deal. Faith that works is faith that does something. So here's the two points. The first one is this, two principles. Number one is God gives water, we dig ditches. This is how faith works, okay? God gives water, that's what we saw in the story. But faith and us dig ditches. 
The Bible says in James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So I want you to hear me on this. Only God could send water, but sometimes he wants to see your faith and he wants to see you actually digging a ditch. Now let's be real. If God could create the universe, and I believe he has, I mean, watching our baby girl be born anytime a kid is born, I don't know how people can just sit back and go, there is no God. You watch a baby come into this world and a baby develop and a baby do things, there's no way some polywog created that. There's no way that some bang just happened and we're just here. It's impossible. We won't get into the evolution talk because we did that in week number one. But hear me out. Think of how complex your body is. Think of how beautiful this world is. And you tell me how that could start with a bang. It's impossible. I know it's for another day. I tell people all the time when I'm sharing my faith, they, they go to creation. I go, okay, we can have that conversation. And then this is where I always end the conversation with them. I say, hey, look, here's the deal. It takes more faith to believe that everything started from a bang. It takes more faith to believe in that than it does for me to believe in God. And I'll just say this. I would much rather, and I do believe in God, so hear me out on this one. I'm talking to a lost person here. I'm talking their language so they can understand. I would much rather believe there is a God, there is a heaven, and live my life according to his word, which is not just a thing of rules, it's a way to protect you, to, to keep you from a lot of things. I would much rather believe in that and be wrong at the end. You see what I'm saying? I would rather do that than one day stand face to face with God and go to hell. Make sense? A little off topic there, but I just felt I needed to share that. Question. All that to say this. If God can create everything, do you think God could have dug the ditches for him? He's God, of course he could. So my question is, is why does he have these guys do it? Faith. Thank you, Zeke. Ready to preach. Listen to me, look at me. You need something from God? You have a need in your life? Remember, what's that biggest need in your life? Here's the question you need to be asking yourself. To prepare myself for the answer, which was water in the story, what ditch do I need to be digging right now for God to do his part? Now, hear me out. There are times in the Bible where God just did what God did. But I'm here to tell you, there are more times in the Bible where mankind did a physical thing for God to do a very spiritual thing. So, so for example, Peter walking on water. Jesus is walking on water. Does Peter just get floated out of the boat, set down on the water and walking towards Jesus? No, he doesn't. It says he stepped out of the boat onto the water. He did a physical thing onto water and the supernatural happened and he walked on water. It's a very physical thing. What about the guy with the withered hand in the New Testament? It says, as he stretched out his hand, his hand was healed. 
The feeding of the 5,000. Where did that come from? A little boy's lunch, a very physical thing. A physical thing got put into place and a supernatural thing began to happen. What about the man who was blind from birth? This is an interesting story. Remember the story where Jesus goes down, he spits in the dirt, creates some mud and just flaps it in that guy's eyes? You ever just read stories in the Bible and go, why did you do that? You know what I mean? I think sometimes Jesus just had a sense of humor. He's like, well, let's just give this a shot. I could speak that thing, but eh, let's just rub some dirt. But what was the physical thing that the man had to do to gain sight? He had to go to the pool, grab some water, and he had to wash his eyes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You have a part in the miracle that you need. It's not just enough to pray, God, I need, fill in the blank, and sit there and wait. You've got a part to do. You, you've got a, a, a ditch to dig. So, so let's take a step of faith here, okay? You need to quit an addiction? Start digging a ditch. Get honest, get open, get help. Okay? You, you need a better marriage. Okay, dig a ditch. Get counseling. Read a book. Get some prayer. The next time we have a marriage event at our church, show up. Invest in your marriage. Dig a ditch. You need better finances. Okay, dig a ditch. Budget. Handle your money right. You say, I don't know how to do that. Great news for you. This Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. in the fireside room for three to four weeks, I'm gonna teach live this week. I'm gonna show you what God says about your money, what you should be doing with it, and how you can have the financial freedom you need to be effective in God's kingdom. So if you're here right now in the building or watching online and you don't know how to budget, you don't know how to save, you don't know retirement, you, you don't, and, and you're, you're, you're just frustrated over your finances, do not miss this Wednesday night. Child care is provided. See, where did that come from? Easy. I put out a message earlier on this week on social media from our church platform and my platform. And I said, what is your greatest need? Overwhelmingly, finance, marriage, parenting, addictions. So you know what we're doing? Small group Wednesday. You say, it's one more day out of the week to come to church. Yes, but if your need is that big, why not come? You want change? Start changing what you're doing. You need to show up. You say, I got stuff to do. You need to cancel it. If your marriage is important to you, if your finances are important to you, if your kids are important to you, you need to pour yourself into things that help you. You need to take that step. You need to dig a ditch. That's what I'm getting at. Okay? Better parent, dig a ditch. I want to go into ministry. Dig a ditch. Go to Bible college. Makes sense. I need more of God's presence in my life. Okay, dig a ditch. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Get accountable. What I'm saying is, is you have to understand only God could send the water, but he's looking at you to actually do something coupled with your faith. As Nate comes. That's what you gotta do. So that's point number one. Point number two, faith believes big, but is okay with starting small. Faith believes big. I don't remember who said it, might have been Moody, but if God's your partner, 
Dream big. So many people living so far below God's best for their lives because they won't dream big. Dream big, faith believes big, but is okay with starting small. I know too many believers, and I, I know too many Christians that don't think big enough. They live in doubt. They could say things like, oh, I believe God can do it, but on the inside, no, they don't. It's just easier to say that to somebody when they're having a conversation. I know God can do that. I know God can heal my marriage, but deep down inside, they don't believe it. They can't think big enough. I know God can save my family members, but then on the inside, but me, whew, you should see what their life is like. Not sure if God can do it. They don't fully believe it. Listen, we serve a God who could do exceedingly and abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. And yet, for some of us, lovingly, you're living in lack. You're living in struggle to struggle. When's the last time you believed God for something big in your life? It's only a question that you could answer. Think about this. I couldn't bring dirt in here because I'd have to bring a lot of dirt. But how do you dig a ditch? Grab a shovel? Is that first hole big or is it small? It starts with something small. I don't know who came up with the statement. It's kind of weird, but everyone uses it. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Who wants to eat an elephant? If you have and you got a secret recipe, I don't care. It just sounds weird. But I'll humor you one bite at a time. How do you dig a ditch? One shovel at a time. But you got to start small. See, what happens is, is we want God to do big things. And like I said, we pray it, we believe in faith, but we don't do anything. Because we're convinced that something big has to take place. No, it doesn't. Start small. Look at the words of Zechariah 4.10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices. In other words, the Lord is happy. The Lord says when someone grabs their shovel to get ready to dig a ditch, God goes, whoa, I'm get, that's, that's sparking joy. I'm really happy about that. The Lord rejoices in your small beginning. But we're so convinced that if it's not big enough, it doesn't matter. Says who? Start small. God rejoices. Some of you, man, you, you've got big vision. But what you need to do is you need to start where you are with what you have. My youth pastor would always say, take what you have and use it. What do you have? Who do you have? Start there. But I know some people, they have no vision or small vision. 
and they do nothing. Listen, you've got to be faithful with God. You've got to be faithful with what he's given you. Let me share something with you that Vanessa and I both believe with all of our hearts that we've talked about, prayed about, that we know is the next big step in this church. We've never shared this, but as I was reading this story about a God providing rain, if some guys would just dig a ditch, it sparked what God has from time to time put inside of our hearts for our church, our community, and the Central Coast. I remember one time as we were first getting here that we started to look around because I really believe in what do you have and who do you have. And I began to say, God, we got a beautiful church, a beautiful building, and a great location because of people decades ago who said, we need a church in this town so people could be reached for Jesus. And Vanessa and I know this to be true. We just get to piggyback off of all of the pastors before us that made this place a reality. Many of them. There was a young lady out in our parking lot, maybe not young, she's a little bit older, but I pulled up to the church the other day and she was in the parking lot and she was taking pictures. And Linda, I wish I got her name, you would probably know, but her parents attended this church. And as a little girl, she attended this church. And as I got out of the vehicle, she said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. This might look funny. I know I'm taking pictures of your building, but I live in Tennessee now, but this was the church that I was raised in. Still in love with Jesus, still going to church had her daughter in the car. And I thought, how cool is that? This past Tuesday, I did a funeral for a great friend, Charlie Deeds. His dad, Ralph, accepted Jesus before leaving this earth. And I went out to do the funeral out in Los Osos. Man, they had the color guard there, the shots going off, the flag. I mean, it was a powerful, powerful service. And Charlie's brother, walked over to me. It was the first time I met him. He lives in Vegas. He's a drummer at a church. He said, I got saved in this church. I thought, man, how cool is that? We've got a great place. But what many of you don't know is, yes, you see a sanctuary. Yes, you see a lobby. Yes, you see some great, some great kid spaces. Many of you, because you gave towards that. It's, it's amazing. If you haven't walked through our kid spaces, you need to do that today. But what many of you don't know is we have a whole second story in our church. And throughout the years, there used to be schools here and so many different things. But going on five years, for the most part, it has sat vacant. And we've been praying, God, how do we steward this building? You've given us this huge building. Listen, I know guys that do church plants and they meet in school gymnasiums what they would give to have a place to call home, a church building that's theirs. And I said, Lord, we've, we've got this. What do we do with this? And man, we've circled the wagon on this. Oh, we could do this or we could do that. And 
And all of a sudden, one day, I was like, Lord, how can we meet the needs of every generation, every generation in San Luis Obispo? Because that's where you've called us. You've called us to reach this town, this city. Of course, some along the Central Coast. We have many here today from Paso as far as AG. We have even some people that come to our church from Napomo. It's humbling. And all of a sudden, the Lord began to drop this idea in our hearts of what would it look like to actually have a facility that could host eight, nine months out of the year those called to full-time ministry. We got these rooms upstairs that, that can fit enormous amounts of people if done right. We've got bathrooms with showers upstairs. Many of you guys don't know. If you ever come to church, you need a shower, we can help you out. We've got all this space up top. And all of a sudden for Vanessa and I, we were called into full-time ministry, got into an intern program. They put us in a host home where we got to live for nine months. And then in that nine months, we went to Bible school so we can get accredited. We got full-time ministry experience. We got put in departments that grew us in our leadership. And it changed our lives. And I thought to myself, man, we live on the Central Coast. If I'm a high school graduating student and God's called me to ministry, and I can go to Bible college online virtually or in person once or twice a week, and actually be plugged in at a church, serving with the staff and the team, meeting the needs of a city, and I could do it over here, sorry guys, rather than in hot Bakersfield? <laughs> Holy cow, I'm in! And all of a sudden, it was like, Ness, Vanessa, I call her Ness. I go, Ness, what, what if we started an actual accredited internship? And you don't have to be just out of high school. You can be a little bit older. Not too old, but you know, older. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But you're called into ministry. And you, you can't afford to go to a full-time or a, a university or a big college, but you can get fully accredited. Many of you guys don't know, we are an extension campus of Vanguard University. So literally, we can have graduates and those called to ministry who could come and for nine, eight to nine months out of the year can live on site, get college credits for after the two years of an internship program, get hired on at a church or a place to go volunteer. They can get full-time ministry experience. Guess what? With us, serving our kids' departments with your kids so that your kids can learn about Jesus in a powerful way. They can help us launch our student ministry and our college ministry. They become worship leaders, drummers in Jesus' name, because that guy playing the drums is way too loud and has no idea what he's doing. Man, they could, they could be standing up on this stage preaching God's word. And they do it right from here. Throughout the week, when we're not inside of a building, they're out in our city, serving the needs of our city, loving on people, volunteering, Bible college, ministry experience, volunteering, I don't know, having fun on their day off. But literally, literally getting set up 
to impact the kingdom of God. Not just here, but all around. Listen, I love Cal Poly and I love Cuesta. I love them. I'll tell you what I don't like about college is they come and then they have to go. That's why I miss Evan. But you know what I've always said about it? If we can get them into our church building and show them the love of Jesus and equip them and disciple them, it's reverse missions. They come here for four to six years, depending on how long college takes. They get as much as Jesus in community and time with you. And then they graduate and they get a job and they move somewhere else. But they love Jesus so much, they become an influence and a witness. It's reverse missions. But I'll be honest with you. I'm also very selfish. What if those same very interns, what if we eventually find our youth pastor? What if we eventually find our kids pastor? Do you see what I'm saying? What if this was a hub for Southern California where every single year we bring in students and we answer the hardest question when it comes to living here. Where am I going to live? Because I can't afford to. We've got you covered. Now, let me just tell you, it's not just like, hey, we're going to open up some rooms. No, no, no. There's a whole process to this. There's a... There, there's an application. There's all of that stuff. I'm not talking we just get some people in the room and keep them busy. And then after two years say, hey, okay, we'll go figure it out on your own. No, 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 no. It's that we bring people in. We disciple them. We shape them. We mentor them. They go to Bible college to get this piece of paper that says I've actually put in the work. I mean this respectfully. But we have dumbed down the qualifications for ministry. I mean that very respectfully. Well, the disciples weren't educated. Wrong. They were educated because every kid grew up the same way. They were highly educated, but according to the rabbis, they just weren't good enough. But Jesus called them good enough. But make no mistake about it, still educated. To where we can look at someone and say, hey, okay, God's calling you to this city or that city or that city. In other words, I've put in the work. But what if, what if, and I'm going long, what if for three to four months out of the year, we opened up this same facility to churches all across Southern California to bring their teams to get away for three or four days to find rest, to strategize, to spend time together, and we can say, don't go spend $320 on a hotel room. We can house you here. As a matter of fact, we've now got spaces for you, for you to have your meetings with your team, for you to pray about the next step that your church needs. We have a full functioning kitchen. We've got a barbecue out in the back, patio furniture. Thank you, Evan. It's all out there. Bring your team. Get refreshed so that you can go back and make a difference in your community. What if we were the hub for ministry and ministering to churches. Now, you may not be as excited about it as I am, or maybe you are. I'm telling you, I've seen it. This would change everything. I'm telling you, this church that God has called my wife and I to give our lives to, God has called us to you and you watching online to love you and to come alongside of you and to serve you. 
But I'm telling you right now, you've got children and junior hires and high schoolers. We've got to meet those needs. And I'm telling you, the answer is for us to get serious about raising up the next generation that will not only impact here, but impact the world. That to me is big. Everyone say big. But you know what we did? We started small. Today, for parents that are here, we have two full-time interns that moved here about six, seven weeks ago. We had to start small. We have a really big vision. I don't want to set a number to it, but it's not going to be small of how many interns we want to have at all times and how many churches we want to serve. It's a big number, but we had to start where we were. So we started having a conversation, Vanessa and I, and it was such the Lord. And all of a sudden, God called these two young ladies to our church. We were asking for a year commitment. They said, we'll make it two. We want God, and we want ministry, and we want to serve. And we're just getting started. The carnival next week, Vanessa, Emily, and Taylor said, we want to honor the parents of our church. And we also want to reach her. What if we put on a carnival? They're just getting started. Then we started having talks with my in-laws. What would it look like to make bunks upstairs to where we can house more? So my dad in typical fashion goes, I could start working on a mock-up at the house. We'll get the first one built, see how we like it. If we like it, we start building more from there. Next thing I know, I get like 50 text messages and emails from Vanessa, which if you turn her loose on one project, it's over. I have a document in my office that has the amounts of what it would take to rip up all the carpet, to put all brand new baseboards, to do all the painting, to make all the beds, to get the ACs going, to, to get the bathrooms fixed up to where we have more than just one shower per place. I mean, next thing I know, I've got a proposal in my inbox from Vanessa. Like, we can totally do this. And I'm like, goodness gracious. And then I'll be honest with you, I'll tell you what I really thought. I'm like, man, they got bigger faith than I do. And all of a sudden, we started putting all these little plans together. So then I was like, well, I don't want these kids just to come and I want them in college. Oh, that's okay. Because Canyon Hills, our network, is an extension campus of Vanguard. Everyone's got used to online this year. They can do it from here or through the SoCal network. So all of a sudden, now we can answer the question to the education. And then all of a sudden, I started thinking about all the different people in our church and what they're gifted at. We can help these guys understand stuff in departments. Nate can teach worship leaders. Vanessa's doing kids. I could do youth. Timmy could do media. We could train. We can pull Junior. He's out in the lobby making sure no one comes into our church. He's actually keeping you safe. Some of you go, where's Junior during service? Well, the service is out in the lobby right now on the TV. He's keeping us all safe. If somebody walked in, they got to go through Junior. <laughs> junior loves outreach. Oh, we can do some outreach. And all of a sudden, it just clicked. This is what God is calling our church to do. Listen, you guys have put a lot of trust in Vanessa and I throughout the years. And we thank God for it. We really do. We've been so humbled by it. You know, every major project that we've had to do, you guys have stepped up. 
Not to mention people who just live in our community have stepped up. It's been unreal. So I'm going to do something that's scary, but I think full of faith. We got the major details figured out. We got to do some fine tuning. But I believe by the fall of 2022 that we're going to open up our church to full-time interns and start impacting the Central Coast for the glory of God. They call that a pregnant pause in speaking. But here's what I'm going to propose to you today. It's going to take all of us to believe in this vision. Say 2022. Got some time. We do. And I believe that is the time because we have a lot to take care of before then. We've estimated it out and we're probably looking at about $50,000 to pull this off the correct way and the right way. Now I'm going to take the tension out of the room real quick. I'm not asking you to give anything. You guys hear me? Everyone look at me real quick. Cool. Beautiful eyes in the building. I'm not asking you to. I'm asking you to pray and to ask God if this is something that you should be a part of. Say, are you doing that to get out of responsibility? No. This was God's idea. It wasn't mine. He just revealed it to me. And I've always said, God, if this is of you, it's on your dime. You guys can smile on that one, by the way. Listen, if God ever asks you or calls you to do something, he's going to front the bill. And listen to me. I know how it gets in church. When you talk about money, people get funny. I get it. I totally get it. But you guys also know my heart. I could either be very timid about this or I could be very bold about this. I'm choosing to be bold because God is the one who delivered this. So whether you're in the room or watching online, listen to me. I know this is going to happen. We've got a big vision. We've taken some small steps. And now we've got some time to be ready for the fall of August 2022 to impact San Luis Obispo. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, not today, not even next week, I'm going to give you a couple weeks. I just want you to simply pray. God, is this something that, that I can help in? Maybe you're here and you're really good at construction or you know someone who is. Maybe you're here and you know how to add showers upstairs. Maybe you're here and you want to spend the day with my father-in-law building beds. I'll let you know, Annette runs the show, so don't be thinking she'll tell you when you miss a cut. Maybe God's going to call you to give. In the Bible, the Bible talks about those that are given the gift of generosity. In other words, God's given you an amazing ability to make money for taking 
the mission of the local church into the world. A lot of different gifts in this place, in our church. But, but I'm asking you to take a step and to just simply pray, okay, God, what are you asking me to do? And guess what? It's just between you and him. And just be obedient. Say, so what's all this come from? Simple. Big vision, small step. What's this come from? God waters, we dig ditches. That's how it works. So let's get away from this, and now let's talk about you. What's the need in your life? What's that biggest one that I told you to remember the whole time? Now think of it. What, what ditch do I need to dig? When I leave this place today, it's not about just hearing a message. You got to do something with it. Don't only be hearers of the Word of God, but be doers of the Word of God. So what's the ditch that you've got to dig? Identify it. This is my need. Then go to point two. How do I start small? Ask God to give you wisdom. Ask God to show you. He will. Amen?